Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. From our team that went to Brazil early in the summer, a lot of our students and some of our leaders as well. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin. Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to come together as a body of believers, Lord, to sing praises to your name, to worship you, to pray, to study, Lord. And I pray that as we open the truth of your word, I pray, Lord, you would just speak clearly to us. I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we'd be able to set aside the distractions of life and all the things that keep us from hearing from you. And I pray, Lord, you'd speak directly into our hearts. Father, I pray that as we study, Lord, and as we hear, I pray that we would be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Go ahead and take your Bibles and open up to the book of Acts. We're going to walk through some passages of Scripture here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I want to remind you of something that's coming up that's very important in our church. In just a few weeks, we are doing our second annual Global Impact Conference, September the 5th, 6th, and 7th. That's a Friday night. Saturday morning uh, into the afternoon a little, and then, of course, Sunday morning. You can buy tickets for the Friday night event. It's a banquet. There's great food. We'll have a speaker. We'll introduce some missionaries, some that you know, some that you don't know. You can get a ticket for that right out in our mission area just outside the sanctuary here this morning, or you can register online, rosemontchurch.org, right on the main page. Clicks and takes you to you. Friday, uh, we'll be offering some breakout sessions, again, some additional speakers, some people that are going to come and share testimonies about all the Lord has done and how the Lord is still working. The point of us doing this is to remind you of the great need, but also give you opportunities to plug in. We're going to unveil for you at the missions conference all of our 2015 trips. We're doing a lot of the same trips, and we've added some pretty significant trips to these mission opportunities, not because we wanted to go, because we felt the Holy Spirit leading us to do this, and he opened some doors for us. And so we're going to continue to walk through those doors. And then Sunday morning, September the 7th, I'm very excited because Dr. George Martin, who is a professor at Southern Seminary and teaches missions. He taught me my missions class in seminary. He taught Randy his missions class in seminary. Dr. Martin is going to be here on Sunday morning, is going to preach all three services, uh, and I'm just really excited to hear him. He's an interesting guy. He spent a lot of time in Indonesia and uh, is just uh, passionate about reaching the world for Christ. And I'm very excited to hear what he has to say. I'm very excited for you guys to hear what he has to say. But we've got another treat for you Sunday morning. I'll go ahead and tell you about it. If you guys do Sunday school, and if you don't do Sunday school, you need to get involved in a Sunday school class. There's a Sunday school blurb for you right there. But our Sunday school classes on the 7th of September will meet as one big class. You won't go to your individual classes. You'll meet in the fellowship hall during your regular Sunday school hour. We've got a man named Lalo Libre who is going to be doing Sunday school for us. Now, Lalo is not this guy's real name. This guy is an extreme missionary. I've mentioned him a couple of times in passing in my sermons. He goes all over the world to places that it's very hard to get into. So he's gone to China. He's gone to South Asia. He's gone to uh, uh, the Middle East. He's been into Baghdad. He told me stories of going into Baghdad and sharing Christ with Muslim imams. Now, that's an interesting story. He's going to be here, and he's going to do Sunday school that morning for you guys. So you don't want to miss it. I want you to be a part of this conference. We've got a special kind of surprise I'm not going to tell you about right now that you hear about the conference. It's very exciting uh, what the Lord's doing, and we'll tell you more about it as we get closer. But you put that on your calendar. You register for that. You pray about that, and you be a part of that September the 5th, 6th, and 7th. Now, hopefully, you're in the book of Acts. 
And we're going to walk through some passages of Scripture this morning. It's going to lead us up to our focal point. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit for the last three weeks now. And we're going to continue that study this morning. But before we delve into the text that we're going to kind of focus on for the next little while, I want to read through a few passages of Scripture, bring you up to speed, and more importantly, I want you to see a pattern. I want you to see a pattern in the book of Acts of exactly what the Lord is doing. So let me give you a little bit of a background here of the book of Acts. Christ has ascended into heaven in the first part of the book of Acts. He's given his followers a commandment and then Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit falls upon the believers. And at this point now, at this point in the history of Christianity, there are approximately 120 believers worldwide. That's what the scripture tells us. So 120 people at this point in Scripture that know Christ. Now we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, I'm going to read it. If you do, just flip along with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And again, we're just going to walk through a few passages before we land here on one spot. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter is giving this incredible sermon to all these people that have listened after the Holy Spirit has fallen. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 40. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now verse 41. Here's the point I want you to hear this morning. Those who accepted his message were baptized... And about 3,000 were added to that number that day. Now watch, we go from 120, a group of small, fledgling, frightened believers. The Holy Spirit falls upon these believers. Peter preaches, we add 3,000 to their number. Now flip over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, at the beginning of the chapter, have been doing some miraculous things. The leadership, the local leadership are afraid of what they're doing. They're afraid of all they're accomplishing. So they take Peter and John, they throw them in jail. And then verse 4 of Acts chapter 4 says this, But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So we go from 120, we go to 3,000. Now we're at 5,000. Now flip over to Acts chapter 5, verses 12, 13, and 14. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to, used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now skip down to the end of verse 14. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number daily. Now flip over to Acts chapter 6. We're just walking through, this, walking through these passages of scriptures. I'm making a point. I hope you're beginning to see a pattern. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased, my Bible says, rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now we could go on and on. The whole book of Acts is filled with these sorts of stories. 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 number are added daily. Growth is rapid. The word of God is spread. We see this picture all throughout the pages of Acts. And we see it in multiple different other locations through the New Testament. You say, great, this is a great story, but why did this happen in the first century? Why did this happen to the early church? What took place as a catalyst 
to spark this great movement of the Lord, this great revival, this great moment of history in which the church literally exploded in numbers. Well, let me remind you very quickly. You don't have to look there, but I'm going to flip back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to these words. Christ says to his followers, before any of this happens, before he ascends into heaven, these are the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you, followers of Christ, all 120 of you, by the way, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the Holy Spirit fueled the growth of the first century church. Now, I said this a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to continue to say it as we move forward in this study. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, the church is useless. Let me say something else that may bother some of you. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, the church begins to function in ways it's not called to function in. And it becomes a social club. And we feel good about coming just because that's what we've always done. Well, let me say something to you. That's not the calling of Scripture. That's not the calling of the Lord. And may that never be said about Rosemont. So now, we're going to take a look in chapter 13, if you'll flip on over, to our focal passage this morning. The word of the Lord has spread. The church is growing. People are coming to know Christ. Incredible things are happening. And now we're going to focus this morning on Acts chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. We've already seen over the last few weeks that the Holy Spirit lives within us. That the Holy Spirit gives us life. That we should live our lives according to the teaching of the Spirit. Last week we saw that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our helper, our counselor. Now we're going to continue our study and our understanding of exactly who the Holy Spirit is and exactly what the Holy Spirit calls us to do. So Acts chapter 13, we're going to focus on the first three verses. In the church at Antioch, now as the Holy Spirit spread the believers and as the Word of God spread, churches begin to be formed in different portions of Asia Minor. Hope that's not an emergency. Amber alert. Okay? Let's pray about that right now. Just right now. Father, whatever that is, (laughs) you've interrupted our thought process, Father, at this very moment for a reason. And wherever that child is and whatever is taking place there, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you take care of it. We trust you. We love you. We have absolutely no control right now in that situation, but you have total control. So you do a mighty work, Father. May people rejoice and bring you glory because of what you're about to accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Spirit has spread the church. People are growing. People are coming to know Christ. And there's a church that's been formed in Antioch. Now we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius, the Cyrene, Manaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now this is Paul, right? Same guy, don't get confused. And Paul, or as the scripture calls him here, Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now there's several things we can talk about this morning in these three short, simple little verses. But there's some truths I want you to understand and get. They're going to help us better understand how the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and how he'll better use us. So here's truth number one. I want you to listen. 
When we seek the Lord, the Holy Spirit will speak to us. When we seek the Lord, the Holy Spirit speaks. Now there's two kind of very interesting portions of verse 2 that I want to delve into and think through just for a few minutes this morning. The first one is the devotion of these people to the Lord. If you've got a phone, go ahead and silence it now. There you go, that's another amber. Do those things go off even when your phone is silenced? Really? Wow. Okay, that's all right. We'll keep moving. The Lord knows what he's doing. Two different things I want you to see this one. The first is the devotion we see from these people to the Lord. The Bible specifically says that these people are worshiping, that these people are fasting. And I'm reminded if we were to kind of study through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, if we were to study through all the Lord had done and who these people were, we would see passages like Acts chapter 2. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. Right? If you were to study through the book of Acts, you would see that these people in the early century church devoted themselves to the things of Christ. They were interested in studying his word. They were interested in preaching they were interested in teaching. They were interested in praying. And they would read and study together. They would, they would fast. They would actively seek the will of the Lord. Here, here's kind of the bottom line. If you wanted to kind of summarize the first century church, there was an expectant devotion to the Lord. They expected through their devotion that the Lord would do something pretty amazing. So the first thing we notice about them is they, they were devoted. They worshiped. And they prayed and they fasted. They were looking for the guidance of the Lord. But here's the second interesting thing I want you to see. Because they were devoted to the Lord, because they were praying, because they were worshiping, because they were fasting, when they were seeking the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. It, it says it very clearly there in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. See that? There's this sense here, there's kind of this model here that when we'll seek the Lord, He'll answer. So here's the question we need to begin to ask ourselves. Do we really believe that the Lord can work in our lives? Do we have the faith that if we'll seek Him and pray to Him and worship Him and fast in His name, if we do those things, do we really believe He's going to work? See, there are people right now, and I look out across the congregation and the faces of the people in this congregation, I know right now, and you know in your heart, there are all kinds of difficulties we're dealing with right now. If I went to every person, I bet every person in here could name something they're specifically dealing with right now that's a, a tragedy or difficult circumstance or something that's very hard on their family. Every person could name something. Here's the question you need to ask yourself. Do I have the faith the Lord can actually work in this situation? Do I trust that if I'll seek him, if I'll listen for his voice, if I'll pray to him, if I'll worship him, if I'll fast, do I believe he's actually going to work? I started thinking this week about this passage of scripture and about how the Lord speaks and how the Lord works. And I just started thinking back in, in history of some of the opportunities that people had to seek the Lord and some of the times when they would seek the Lord and he would do some pretty amazing things in my mind. I, I, I just enjoy history. My mind went back to the Great Awakening. If you don't know anything about history, the Great Awakening was, they, they'll tell you in the history books, 1740 to 1742, but it probably was about a decade before and a decade after. 
But it was a moment in the history of the American colonies when thousands upon thousands of people came to know Christ. It was an incredible revival called the First Great Awakening. You should do some research on it if you hadn't heard of it. That sounds fascinating and all of you. Yeah, read about the 1740s. That sounds really exciting. But the Lord did an amazing thing in the hearts of the people in the colonies through a man named Jonathan Edwards. Now, Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in a small church in Massachusetts. And I want to read his account of the beginning of the Great Awakening. He wrote this in 1734. He said, the town, this was the town he lived in. I want you to listen to how he described it now. The town experienced a degenerate time with dullness of religion. That's an interesting phrase. Religion was just dull to these people, right? It didn't mean a whole lot. Wasn't very important. Sounds like a lot of people today, doesn't it? The young people, students, you ready for this? Here's how he described the young people. The young people were addicted to night walking, tavern drinking, and lewd practices. That's how he described the teenagers. Maybe like a lot of our teenagers today, I don't know. Community leaders were locked in bitter disputes. Then, two well-known young people died untimely deaths in the spring of 1734. This had a remarkable, sobering effect on the whole town, and people began to ask questions about the meaning of life, life after death, eternity, and other spiritual matters. Now, I want you to watch this. In tandem with this, the small and ineffective church, he's talking about his own church here now, The small and ineffective church was praying for God to move. Calling out to God for the souls of their neighbors. In December of that year, six young people were converted. One young woman was so radically changed that it became the talk of the town and the news of this event spread like wildfire. The next six months, 300 of the 1,100 people in that town were converted. That's more than 25% of the population in six months. And the Great Awakening begins. Why? Because a small, as he says, ineffective church began to pray for the Lord to work. Do we really believe that we have the power to change the world? Well, maybe not individually, but as we pray to the Lord and seek Him, the Holy Spirit can do it. The Holy Spirit can use you. And the Holy Spirit can use this church. Why? Because we devote ourselves to Him. We're interested in hearing His Word. We're interested in following Him. We're interested in doing whatever He calls us to do whenever He calls us to do it. So we begin to examine our own hearts and our own lives and we ask ourselves the question, how devoted are we to the things of the Lord? How, did, how devoted are we even right now? And let me, let me just kind of step on your toes for just a second. When you come in to worship on Sunday morning, are you prepared to hear from the Lord or are you concerned about where you're going to lunch? Are you prepared to worship? Are you, are you getting up on Sunday morning? Are you preparing your heart for whatever the Lord has? Or are you more worried about what you're going to eat in breakfast in Sunday school? Are you considering all the Lord has called you to do? Or are you more worried about what work's going to bring to you on Monday morning when you arrive? Now, I understand we live in a world of distractions. And I understand those things may be important. But the point is this. Are we devoting ourselves to the things of the Lord? Are we focusing on Him? Are we listening for his voice? Are we allowing him to speak and to lead us? Now let's continue through this passage of scripture because there's some other points we need to get to this morning. Verse 2 again. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. right? So there's this sense of devotion. 
There's the sense that they were interested in the things of the Lord. While they were doing those things, right, it's taking place, the Holy Spirit said, so there's this sense here, he's speaking. While they're doing these things, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Here's the second truth. The Holy Spirit, if we'll listen, will call us to action. If we're seeking the Lord, if we're honest about following Him, if we're listening for His voice and for His call, He's going to call us to action. Now here's what this text does not say. The Holy Spirit called them to think about doing something. That's not what the Spirit Spirit called them to do. The Bible doesn't say the Holy Spirit called them to talk about doing something. That's not what the Holy Spirit called them to do. Bible doesn't say the Holy Spirit called them to pretend, now I'm being careful here, <laughs> to pretend as if they're doing something. It's very easy to pretend, isn't it? You know, we're, we're great in the church, and I'm, I'm, I'm right up here at the head of this line. We're great at talking about all we want to do. Considering the great need. Talking in Sunday school about the need to minister and the need to share our faith, the need to pray, pray more. We, we're great at talking about those things, but be careful. The Holy Spirit doesn't call us to think or talk or to pretend. The Holy Spirit calls us to action. Do it. While these people are praying, while they're fasting, while they're seeking, the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. I've got a plan for them, says the Holy Spirit. I've got a picture for their life. I've got something they need to accomplish. And I just wonder, do you ever find yourself in this text? Lord, what do you want me to do? What are you trying to accomplish through me? How do you want to use me for your honor and for your glory? Lord, I'm listening for you. I want you to call me to action. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's that's great. And I understand this and and I see this passage of Scripture. But how is the Holy Spirit actually going to speak to me? How is he actually going to call me? How am I supposed to know what the Holy Spirit actually wants me to do? Well, there are all sorts of verses that kind of help us understand how the Holy Spirit speaks. I want to give you just a few. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down and read later. But one of the ways the Holy Spirit leads us is by convicting us. John chapter 16, verse 8. When He comes, this is the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful as a follower of Jesus Christ that there's conviction with the Spirit? So when you get to that point in life and you've got a decision to make and the Holy Spirit convicts you that this is wrong and this is right, it gives you the opportunity to do the right thing for the Lord. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. I think Randy read last week, John 14, verse 26. And by the way, I didn't say this at the beginning. I should have. It's in my notes. I forgot it. Thank you, Randy. I know he's not in here. But thank you. He did a great job last week. I know because I listened to the podcast. (laughs) I wasn't going to leave and not listen to the associate pastor preach. In fact, I listened to it as soon as it was up, Larry. As soon as it was up Sunday afternoon, I was listening to it. But he did a great job. I really, I, I, he really did a good job. I appreciate him doing that. But he talked last week about being the counselor. And so we see in John 14, 26, But the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you, right? There's the sense that the Spirit's going to teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. We've already said that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We've already said that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit. So we kind of put these things together and we begin to understand that the Holy Spirit leads us by convicting us of our sins and what's right and what's wrong. He guides us by understanding the truth of the Word. He directs our path. He testifies with our spirit. 
And so we begin to ask ourselves the question, okay, so the, the, the Holy Spirit, if I'll seek the Lord, is going to speak to me. I can kind of prepare myself that way, through, through his word and, and through time alone and through fasting. I can expect the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me. I get that, right? And I know that the Holy Spirit's going to call me to action. But what, what sort of action is he going to call me to? I have no idea. <laughs> but the Lord does. And he's going to make it very clear to you. It's not my responsibility to tell you what your call is. It's the Lord's and he'll do it. Now some of you may feel a call to action to, to, to go overseas. You may feel a call to action to get on an airplane and fly somewhere around the world and share your faith. Others of you have no desire to do that. You may be called to action to be missional at your workplace. You may be called to action to, to stop and help somebody in need. You know, we had a, a great response several weeks ago from, from Mission LaGrange, and we just had so many people involved in, in such an in, incredible outpouring of the Spirit of the Lord. And we had a group of people after that that said to us, can we continue to do these kind of things in our community? And we said, I don't know. Is that a good idea? I mean, of course. <laughs> Absolutely you can continue to do And so we've got the sign-up right now here in the missions area. You can go down there and you can take a look and sign up for these sorts of things. We had a group of ladies... They went yesterday to the laundromat. They did this when it was Mission LaGrange. And they, they were so blessed by what they did. They did it again yesterday. Let me tell you what laundromat ministry looks like. It's real complicated. You ready? You got your notepad, diagrams, and there's some flow charts. It's very complicated. They walk into a laundromat, and they pay for people to wash their clothes. And while they're washing, they share Jesus. That's, that's really about it. <laughs> so simple, and yet incredibly profound. So we had a group of ladies go do this yesterday. And, and Pam, I'm going to read your text. I didn't tell you I was going to, but Pam sent me a text of this group and what they accomplished. And I want to read it to you. She said several other things, but one of the things she said, because of a precious group of ladies and teenagers, a mother said she could now buy her child a birthday present. Here's a lady who couldn't afford to buy her kid a present because she had to watch clothes. And because of the love of Christ and the people in the hearts of this church, we paid for her to wash her clothes. She now says, you know what, I, I guess I can buy my kid this birthday present. Two women are now attending the Beth Moore Conference. How about that? Two more people asked for our church information so they could attend our services, tell their friends what God is doing through the people here at Rosemont. And I heard countless people in the laundromat saying to each other, God is so good. How simple is that? See, see the Holy Spirit is going to Speak to us. The Holy Spirit is going to call us to action. And when the Holy Spirit calls us to action and we're obedient, amazing things happen. And sometimes it's the simplest things that make the biggest difference. Now I need to finish up this morning. Verse 3, we're going to kind of wind this down. So the Holy Spirit has spoken in verse 2. The Holy Spirit very clearly has called them to action. And now verse 3, so, there's this, I love that, so because of these things, so after they had fasted and prayed, they, this is the church, placed their hands on them. That would be Barnabas and Saul. So just so we're clear, after they've prayed and fasted, the church is going to put their hands on Barnabas and Saul and send them off. So here's the third truth. Not only does the Spirit speak, not only will the Spirit call us to action, but here's the third truth. The Holy Spirit will send us. See, the Spirit's got a very clear calling in your life. He's got a very clear direction He wants you to walk. And as you discern the voice of the Spirit and you begin to listen more and you begin to understand He's calling you to action, you're going to begin to see very clearly He's going to send you where He wants you to go. 
You say, what does that that look like for me? Well, some of you, it's going to be missional living, just like yesterday. By the way, there's a lot of those things still upcoming. And, And by the way, let me just be clear. You don't have to sign up on a piece of paper to be missional, okay? Your name doesn't have to be on some list before you can reach out to somebody in the name of Jesus Christ. I just want to be clear about that. But maybe the Lord's calling you to be missional. Maybe the Lord's calling you to go on a short-term mission trip. We have all sorts of those upcoming next year. And one of the things we'll do at our conference is kind of explain to you all those opportunities. Guatemala, Zambia, Romania, Alaska, all the ones we've done, South Asia. We're going to do all these things again. We're going to add some to it because we just feel like the Spirit is leading us in that direction. But here's, here's a seed I want to plant in your heart just for a second. What if the Lord's called you more than just missional living where you work? What if the Lord's calling you to more than just short-term mission work? What if the Lord's calling you to give your life to Him in some sort of mission field, whatever that may lead? What if the Lord's asking you to, to be different than you've ever been before? What if the Lord's asking you to, to sacrifice something? And, and I don't know if He's speaking to somebody right now or not, but I just wonder, with all the, the mission work we've done and with all we're going to continue to do, I just wonder when people are going to stand up and start saying, you know what, a week's not enough for me. <laughs> Once every six months in missional living is not enough for me. I want to do more. You know, we've already had people in our church that have kind of sacrificed and gone for more than just a day or a week. We had a group that went to Alaska. as a big team here just a few weeks ago. You know, Barbara Jones and Linda Scott were up there the whole summer ministering, sharing their faith, working for those people. Larry and Lynn Ninus last summer went to Africa for six weeks. Why? Because the Lord called them to go. So they stayed there and they worked there and they ministered. This year alone, we've had students in Africa for a period of weeks. We've had college students in South Asia. We've had college students in Central America and down into Brazil. My family here in just a few weeks is going to be going to Africa for a month. And Let me just ask you, by the way, if you would continue to pray for us. I've had a great chance these last few months as I started thinking about this and praying through this and kind of speaking to some people that I trusted about this and getting their opinions, should I go? And I've had this question from a lot of people. Why are you going for so long? There are two answers to that. Answer number one is the Lord called me to. Number one. But number two, I don't want to just manage what we're doing at this church because it's always the way we've been doing it. I want to lead this church. And I want you to be challenged by what I'm doing. I want you to be challenged by what the Ninuses have done. I want you to be challenged by what Miss Barbara Jones did and what Linda Scott did and these college students did. I want you to be challenged. If those people can do it, maybe I can do it. If the Lord can work it out for them, maybe the Lord can work it out for me. Because he's, he's got a plan for us. And he's got a desire to send us and he's got a desire to use us and he's got a desire to work in ways we can never fully imagine. I want to finish today by reading a little excerpt from a book. I rarely do this. I told the first service, it'd be a lot easier if I could just read from books during my sermon. It'd be a lot less sermon prep, but I don't usually do that. But I'm going to read a couple of pages out of this book. It's called The Insanity of God. How many have read this book, just out of curiosity? All right, keep your hands up. All y'all that read it, is it four? How many of y'all would recommend that somebody else read it? (laughs) Okay, me too. Long story short, it's about a 300-page book. I read it at the beach. Right, I went I thinking I was going to get a light read. And it's an easy read, but it's a powerful read, man. You know, you take a light beat read to the beach because you want to enjoy. And I just wept as I'm sitting on the beach reading this book. And Amy can tell you. I, I felt kind of silly. I'm supposed to be happy at the beach and I'm crying reading this book, right? 
story about this guy who feels led to go all over the world and talk to believers who've lived under persecution. That's his calling. And so he interviewed people in Russia, people that had lived under Soviet oppression for decades. He went to China and talked to people that had lived under communist oppression there. He went to the Middle East and talked to people that had lived under this conflict constantly over there. And he came back with all these stories of how the Spirit is working in the hearts of these people. And it's very challenging because I'm going to promise you something. The church will grow under persecution. Period. But he comes back and he tells these stories. And I was blown away by not only the stories, but how the Holy Spirit led him over and over and over again. So I'm I'm, going to speak right now. I just want to say this very clearly. I'm going to speak to that person right now that's struggling and doesn't know the Holy Spirit can do it or not. Yes, he can. So this guy's got this plan to go fly to speak to this other guy in persecution and Again, there's a lot that leads up to it, but he can't go. So the Lord changes his plans. In the midst of all this, he's been getting this email from this doctor in this one particular area. And the doctor said to him multiple times, hey, I think the Spirit's calling you to come see me. (laughs) The guy's like, well, I appreciate you saying that, but the Spirit's not calling me to come see you, so I'll see you later. right?" On and on it goes until the guy's plans get changed. And he says, well, I guess I'm going to have to go see this doctor now. I don't have any other choice. So I'm going to read a couple of pages or a couple of paragraphs. I flew into the capital city of his country and traveled to a smaller city. By the way, this is a Muslim country. From there, I took a smaller plane which landed on a short dirt runway outside a small border town. As soon as I exited the plane, 